Good morning. How's everybody doing on this fine February morning? Somebody this morning told me it was awful cold outside. And I'm from Ohio, so I, I didn't quite get there. Their definition of cold is not the same as mine. But I do think it's a beautiful morning out there. Have you ever wondered, one of the things, I see it down here, but I don't get to see it in Florida as much as we got to see it in Ohio. The, the Canadian geese flying south for the winter and then flying north in the, in, the, in the spring. We don't get to see that down here as often as, as we would see it in Ohio. There are days in Ohio where the sky is just, just thick with geese. And I'm sure you've noticed how they always fly in a V. Do you know why that is? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You were the only one in the room who knew that, or the only one who, who spoke up. Maybe everybody was trying to figure out, well, maybe they don't know any of the other uh, letters in the alphabet. No, but as each bird flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird behind it. In a V formation, the geese can fly 71% further than one on its own can go. And that's a remarkable amount of distance that they can add to their trip. When one is tired, because the one at the front is working the hardest, and then the next two are working pretty hard, and then the next two, and it's easiest in the back. Well, as, as they get tired, they rotate to the back where it's easier, and, and the others kind of move forward into the harder spot, and then they rotate back, and they take turns. Did you know that when one becomes injured or sick, at least three will stop and stay with that sick one until it is well enough to go on or until it dies so that it does not die alone. And then they will, they will resume their journey. Did you know that when they are honking, it's the ones in the very back that have it the easiest. They're honking to encourage those up front. We're still here. We haven't left you. You're not doing all that work up there for nothing. We're still following you. We can still see you. We're still back here. We haven't stopped at Denny's. We're still, we're still following along. And I've always loved kind of that definition of, of why they do that, not just because it's amazing to hear that honking and to see that big V4 formation fly over your head, although it is kind of beautiful to watch if you've ever had a chance to see it. But I think it's, it's a really beautiful picture of, of what community ought to look like. At least, that's what I have, I have always thought. And as we begin a new series on community, I have, I have known for several months that I was going to be preaching this morning and that it is Groundhog's Day today. Did you know that? Were you aware of that? Is that, is that a big deal in Florida? Since, since you guys don't really have winter, it might not be that... that 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 as big of a deal but in Ohio it's that's a big deal everybody always worries about how much longer is this winter going to last especially as we come out of January which psychologists tell us feels like the longest month of the year even though it's only 31 days it's not any longer than some of the other months it just feels that way 
But Groundhog Day is, is kind of a big deal. And I have always loved, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Groundhog Day. But I have, I have loved that movie since the first time I saw it. I, I think that's one of the funniest movies they ever made. If you haven't seen it, it's just a guy who is, he's a reporter and he is sent to a small town that covers the Groundhog Festival and he doesn't want to be there. And he goes to bed that night on February 2nd, looking forward to getting out of there on February 3rd. And then when he wakes up in the morning, it's February 2nd again. And then he has to do the day again. And then that happens over and over and over again for the, for the duration of the movie. And I think a lot of us can, can identify with kind of the feeling in that movie of being stuck doing the same thing over and over again. How many of us have recognized those patterns in your life that you feel almost like you're in a rut and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again? Anybody identify with that? Has anybody felt that way? You get up real early in the morning. If you get up early for work and it's still dark out when you get up, and the, the more days in a row you do that, you begin to feel like, I've, just, I've been doing this forever, and I'm going to be doing this forever. Have you gone to the grocery store, and you're filling up that cart, and you're thinking, I was just here buying all this stuff. And before I know it, I'm going to be back buying it all again. Have you ever sat down to pay your bills, and you feel like, I just paid for electricity yesterday. And here I am, I'm writing them another check. I'm moving another amount of money out of my account so that Clay Electric can have some more. We just, we feel like we just kind of get in those patterns or those, those patterns, I think they sometimes can be comforting. And, and not all the patterns we get into, not all the ruts we get into are bad ruts, I don't think. Um, we try seven mornings a week, it doesn't always happen, but my wife and I try seven mornings a week. I'm always up before her, at least an hour, sometimes even two or three hours. If I, if I can't sleep, but we try really hard to have coffee together every morning. That's just one of the patterns that we try in our life. We sit in the living room. It's usually before the sun is up. We don't have too many lights turned on, and we just kind of sit and we talk. And sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes we pray, but sometimes we just sit and we talk about politics, or we talk about movies, or we talk about what our day was like yesterday if it was one of those days where we went in two different directions until we got home at 9 o'clock at night. But it's just a, just a chance to connect and just to spend a few minutes together before the day starts and it, it gets crazy again. And I find that intensely comforting to look forward to that, to be able to do that most mornings out of each week. Does anybody else have any sort of comforting pattern in your life that you get to do? And, and as I ask that question, I just want to caution you, I'm not looking for that, that pastor answer. Sometimes when I ask people questions, they, they go either way to make sure every answer they give me includes the Bible or includes worship or, or something like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that if that's your comforting pattern, but it doesn't have to be. Your comforting pattern can be a, a cup of coffee, reading the morning newspaper. It doesn't have to be spiritual as long as it's something that, that comforts you that kind of brings a little bit of order or stability to your day or to your week. Anybody have some sort of comforting, comforting rut that you're in that's, that's really good for you? Lynn's got one.
Amen. 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 Communication with family. I, I remember I served four years in the Army back in the dark ages before email and text and all that stuff. And I can remember getting letters from home and, and how powerful that connection was to find out what's, what's going on back home. Anyone else? I'll, oh, go ahead. What have you got back there? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that, that coffee, yes, so important, so important. How about any of, those, any of those patterns that are not comforting? We talked about those a little bit with the bills, grocery shopping, those, those things that I think most of us can identify with. Those, maybe they're not problems, but those things that we go through over and over again, and, and as soon as you're starting it, you're thinking, I just finished this. I just accomplished this. What have you got, Zach? Waking up for school every morning. You know what? The good news is school doesn't last forever. In just a few years, you're going to be waking up for work every morning. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean, to, I didn't mean to, to, to pour reality on you this early in the morning. Yes. Doing the dishes. You know, I do a lot of dishes at our house because I don't do a lot of cooking because I can't. So I do a lot of the dishes. And yes, I agree. That is like a never ending. There's, you've got to have it so much worse than me. I've only got, there's only Shannon and I. But I don't know how two people make so many dirty dishes, but we sure do. And those of you with bigger families, I, I can't even imagine. It breaks my heart to think about how long you stand by that sink. What else? You know, our garbage collection day is Tuesday. So if you want to break your routine and, and come, our, come over to our place and take our trash out on Monday night, that would be a chance for you to kind of... All right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll see you on Monday night then. So that's, those are just some of those things. And I think as we talk about relationships this month, I believe I'm talking about this morning our relationships with each other within the church. And I'm kind of talking in a broad way about our relationship with other believers around the globe, our relationship with other Christians in America, even in Keystone Heights, but I want to zero in kind of specifically on Fresh Start Fellowship because that's where we're all standing or sitting right now at this moment. But I think sometimes that those patterns, those ruts in those relationships, I think that can, those can kind of be bad. And I don't mean bad in like there's an abusive sort of a thing going on. I don't mean bad in that it's, it's spiritually unhealthy for us. But I think a little bit of unhealth can kind of creep into those spiritual relationships we have with each other because just like that movie Groundhog Day, we can come to church and fellowship at the exact same depth every single time we get together, just like it's the first time, just like last time, and next time will be the same. We can so easily get in this pattern where we come in the door and, and we shake hands with somebody, we hug somebody, we, we, we go and we get a cup of coffee and we sit and, and we visit for a few minutes in a really shallow way. How was your week? How was the weather? How was your trip? And then 
we worship. And then our pastor preaches. And then we go out the door and we go home. And then next Sunday, just like that movie Groundhog's Day, we're right back. Same handshake, same hug, same coffee, same seat. This morning's a little bit different because we're set up for the, the Super Bowl party tonight. But same seat, same, same everything. Same conversation about the trip, same conversation about the weather. And then we're right back into that routine. And it's unhealthy because it, it never changes. It's like living that same day over and over and over again. So I want to this morning quickly go through three things that I think can really kind of help us grow, help us dig a little deeper, help us get a little bit more out of our time together, out of our relationships with each other. And the first thing I've got, this one is, I think, just really easy, but breaking bread together. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he thanked God for it. He broke off some pieces, gave them to his followers and said, take this bread and eat it. It is my body. Then he took a cup of wine, thanked God for it and gave it to them. He said, each one of you drink some of it. This wine is my blood, which will be poured out to forgive the sins of many and begin the new agreement from God to his people. I want you to know I will not drink this wine again until the day that we are all together in my Father's kingdom and the wine is new. Then I will drink it again with you. They all sang a song and then went out to the Mount of Olives. So this, this beautiful description of the Last Supper, and we hear this a lot because every time we celebrate communion, we kind of walk through these, these verses together. But as we think about what did Jesus do, what did they do in that time, they ate together, they shared a meal together. And I'm not talking about sharing the meal the way we, we so easily share meals together. I don't know if you guys are like Shannon and I, but it is just, it is so easy for us to eat in front of the television. Sometimes I'm eating dinner and she's not home yet. Sometimes she's eating and I'm not home yet. So then it's real easy to eat in front of the television because nobody knows but the dog. But so many times we just, it's, it's 8 o'clock or 8.30 before we're getting around to dinner, and it is just so easy to just, just take your food into the living room and eat in front of the television. It is so easy. The, the teens that come over on Sundays, they actually make fun of Shannon and I because in our coffee table, our coffee table has a big drawer in it, and the drawer of that coffee table is just filled with napkins. And that, that confesses to the group how often we eat in the living room in front of the television. We keep our napkins in the living room by the television. But I'm not talking about that because that's not, not that that's necessarily unhealthy. But that's, that's, the, the verses don't tell us that they all sat down in front of the television and they watched Wheel of Fortune together while they, while they shared a meal but they actually spent time together and fellowship together. I can remember as a, as a kid growing up, my mom's rule was you're not allowed to eat in front of the television, which is one of the reasons that that's so attractive to me today as an adult, I guess. But we, weren't, we couldn't have the television on while we were eating because my mom wanted us to be able to sit together and talk about our day. It is so important, and it doesn't have to be dinner every single night. But I think, I think food is such a great way to fellowship together. 
you can sit together and you can share a meal. And, and so many of us have great family memories around Thanksgiving dinner, around an Easter dinner, around being together, dinner at grandmother's house. I can tell you that the, the ministry that I do with the teens, Sundays at Bible study and Wednesday night here, that as much as I love that, that is absolutely nothing compared to when I sit with one of them and we get french fries. Or we go sit up at Dunkin' Donuts and, and, and have a cup of coffee. And we talk about life and we talk about school and we talk about what's going on at home and how's their relationship with their mom and dad. And how is their relationship with God? One of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, how is your soul? How are you doing? How are you really doing? And those are questions that you can ask while you're sitting together and you're, you're having food. And their guard is down because they don't feel like they have to give a church answer because we're not sitting in church. What a great time to connect with people. As believers, are we breaking bread together regularly? And I'm not talking about when we have a potluck, and there's nothing wrong with that. I absolutely love that. But are we going out of our way to share a meal together, to share a cup of coffee together, to share a few moments of fellowship together? And it doesn't always have to be spiritual. It doesn't mean you have to get your Bible out and do an in-depth study of the book of Leviticus while you're eating your dinner. You can just get together and you can just talk about your day. But that connection with other believers, I believe, is just so absolutely important. I can tell you, I, I love our pastor, and I honestly, I'm as close to him as I am to my own brother. And that happened, I don't see him right now, but I'm sure he can hear this, and he's probably smiling. But that happened not in this building on Sunday mornings, but that happened at a point in my life where I was kind of hurting a little bit, and he and I met together for breakfast, and some of these breakfasts went like three or four hours, but we would sit up at the Keystone Inn, and we would have breakfast together, and we would sit, and we would talk, and we got to know each other. Every Tuesday morning, through the entire summer and most of the fall of 2017, what a powerful time that was in my life. What a time of great encouragement. What a time of getting to know him in a way that I just could not possibly get to know him on a Sunday morning. Are you seeking those opportunities out? Are you looking for a chance to spend time together with other believers? And I'm not saying this because I'm fishing for an invitation to your house for dinner. I'm absolutely not saying that. But how often do you invite somebody over for coffee? How often do you just make a phone call and say, look, my, my schedule is busy, so busy, that I need to spend some time together with a brother or a sister in Christ. So let's, let's go to Dunkin' and I'll buy a donut and you buy the coffee and we'll just spend, spend 10 minutes just being together and hanging out and laughing. We'll go up to McDonald's and spend some time. We'll sit in the Keystone Inn for four hours, so long that the, the server actually changes shifts on us. When's the last time you sought that out? And it takes a little bit of effort on your part. Not just effort to say yes when somebody invites you, because if you're like me and you get an invitation, your first impulse is that you are so busy is to say, you know what, I, I can't do it this week. 
and next week's pretty bad, but maybe, maybe sometime we'll do it. But do you have the courage to say yes when somebody says, let's get together? Do you have the courage to invite somebody? Breaking bread together, what Jesus did, they ate together, they prayed together, they sang together. There's not a lot of places in the gospel where it tells us that Jesus and the apostles were singing together. So I, I can't imagine that they, they had this beautiful sound. Just a bunch of guys who just ate, singing a song of praise together. It probably didn't sound amazing. But, but what a great picture of fellowship that is. To be worshiping together. They faced pain together. They weren't even really aware of what was about to happen, but Jesus knew. And he spent that time leading up to his painful death, fellowshipping with his brothers. What better way to prepare to face hardship in life than with other believers to strengthen you? The next thing I've got is to sharpen each other. And, and this is, I've, I've been laughing for weeks hearing this verse because I knew that, that today was coming right after the very first uh, gathering of the men's ministry. Proverbs 27, 17, and you've all heard this verse already today. As one piece of iron sharpens another, so friends, keep each other sharp. How is iron sharpened? Heated in the fire? In the, in the foundry, beaten, as iron sharpens iron, those two pieces of iron have to come into conflict, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you can't just, and we're not talking about a fight club or anything like that, but you can't just take two pieces of iron and sit them on the couch in front of Wheel of Fortune and come back in an hour, and one has made the other one sharp. They have to be in, in some sort of conflict, and I don't mean conflict like disagreement, but they've got to bang into each other. There's got to be some sacrifice on each one's behalf so that the dull one can get sharpened and that the sharp one becomes even more sharp. It's got to strike against each other. That's why I'm so excited about the men's ministry. That's why our women's ministry has such a powerful reach. Not because we're getting together in conflict and banging up against each other, but we can get together and we can sharpen each other. You are not understanding the power of Christianity if you think coming in here every Sunday like Groundhog's Day is going to do it. Getting together with other believers and letting them encourage you and you encourage them. That is how we sharpen each other. It's going to cost each one of us something because well, now you've got to get up early on Saturday. No more sleeping in on Saturday if you're going to come to the, to the men's meeting. Now it might cost you something. You've got it's your turn to bring donuts. You've got to stop and buy some donuts. Now it's going to cost you something because you're going to need to help set up chairs. You're going to need to help, help Brother Scott take out the trash when the event is over. That's his day. He's like fishing for some help. So, 
but it might cost you something that you might show up to the men's breakfast and there's breakfast and there, there's fellowship. And okay, I got up early, but there's bacon, so it's okay. And we got some coffee. And, and as you're sitting and getting to know each other, somebody might share, I just lost my job and I'm scared about how I'm going to pay my bills. And now it's going to cost you something as you talk about a time where you lost your job and how scared you were. Now it's going to cost you something as somebody shares about the state of their marriage. And you have to be a little bit transparent and you have to say, well, this perfect marriage that you see me having on Facebook, that's not the whole story because we've got some hurt in our house too. And let me tell you one of the ways we're dealing with that. Or let me tell you, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm hurting right there with you, brother. Might cost you something. You might have the answer, and it might cost you something to share it. Because most of us understand that the way that you accumulate wisdom, life beats you up a little bit. And as you share the wisdom you've accumulated, it takes some courage to say, well, I know this, and I know this because life beat me up some. And let me tell you the story about the foolish choice I made and how I learned how to do this and how to work this. It's going to cost you something to sharpen somebody else. And it's going to cost you something to get sharpened by somebody else. I mean, that is a really cool verse. I've been hearing it since before I was a believer, and I thought it was a cool verse the first time I heard it. And it's a great verse. But underneath the surface of that, talks about so much work fire and friction and pain are you sharpening somebody I'm going to tell you I, I pray for this church and I pray for our church family every day and if you are sitting in here and you don't know the name of somebody that you're sharpening just a little bit you don't have to be leading a bible study you don't have to be walking past homeless people and praying with them and giving them Bibles and, and giving them money. But who are you encouraging? Who are you sharpening? Who are you helping? If you can't think of anybody, then you're wrong. Because we are not called to just be spectators in this Christian faith. We are called to do this Christian faith. If you can't name somebody who is sharpening you, because you might be in a period of your life where you're in a little bit of pain and you're not really ready to sharpen somebody. But if you don't know the name of somebody who's sharpening you and encouraging you and helping you, then I'm begging you, you need to find somebody. And you need to do it fast. Almost like it's an emergency fast. Because you need somebody sharpening you and encouraging you and making you better. And that's not just my idea, but that's right out of Scripture. That's how we are supposed to be. We're supposed to break bread together. We're supposed to sharpen each other. And then the last thing, we are supposed to speak and hear truth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. I absolutely love this verse. I correct and punish the people I love. Sounds almost like a parent, doesn't it? I correct and punish the people I love. So show that nothing is more important to you than living right. Change your hearts and lives. We are supposed to speak and hear 
truth. I think one of the great myths of Christianity, and sometimes it's not even Christianity, sometimes it's this almost this religious idea where I, I'm not opposed to Jesus. Jesus loves everybody. And so as a Christian, I'm just supposed to love everybody and love everything. And I'm supposed to get along with everybody. And no matter what you, choices you are making in your life, I'm just supposed to love you. Oh, that's great. Oh, you want to cheat on your wife? Well, you know, that, that's great. Oh, you want to steal from your boss? Oh, that's just, that's great. That's great. Good for you, brother. We're just, we're just loving everybody so much and everything they do. We just love everything. And if you approach Christianity that way, where you just love everybody and you love everything they do and everything they say, before too long, you are going to be endorsing sin. You might not believe in that sin. You might think that sin is absolutely horrible. But you're going to be endorsing it if you don't take a, some sort of a stand against it. Now, 1 Corinthians tells us that our words are like a clanging gong if we don't have love. God has not positioned us to be the judge of everybody around us. He has not called any of us to, to get a piece of paper and a pen and walk around the room writing down everybody's faults so that I can get a pretty good list and then after the service I can go up to Brother Tom and tell him everything he's doing wrong and when I'm halfway through that, oh, Scott, don't go anywhere, because as soon as I'm done letting him know what a mess he is, you better sit down. We're going to be here a while, Scott. I got a long list for you. That's not what we're called to do. But, you know, we talked about breaking bread together and getting to know each other. Through that relationship, one of the things that I do with students, when I'm meeting a new student, when I'm getting to know a new student, after I've gotten to know them for a little bit, I ask them, do I have permission to speak into your life? I've never had one of them say no. But then as I get to know them and as I've spent some time with them, I can cash that in down the road. And I can say, remember when you gave me permission to speak into your life? We need to have a conversation about the way you're treating your mom. I want to have a conversation with you about the kind of media you're consuming. I want to have a conversation with you about the way that you are acting with your friends, about the choices you are making. As we build those relationships by breaking bread, as we strive to sharpen each other, that gives us the ability to speak truth to each other with love. Nobody wants to come in the door of church and have somebody you hardly know give you a list of everything you did wrong. But how great when somebody who loves you sit, sits with you and says, let me help you do life a little bit better. Let me help you navigate this. And especially when they can sit with you and transparently share, let me help you get a little bit better at this because I was such a mess at it for so long. And here's what God taught me when people were kind of smacking me in the back of the head and helping me get better. So let me kind of gently smack you in the back of the head and help you get a little better. How can we speak and hear truth? together these things build on each other the relationship the sharpening the using truth as we sharpen and once upon a time and and this is this is a great old story once upon a time a very strong woodcutter went and asked for a job from a timber merchant the pay was really really good and so were the working conditions so for those reasons the woodcutter was very anxious to land this job he was hired, 
And his boss gave him a brand new axe, and he showed him the area where he was going to work. And the very first day, the woodcutter knocked down 18 trees. Congratulations, said the boss. You must be the hardest worker I have. Nobody has knocked down 18 trees in one day before. Motivated by those words, the woodcutter showed up the next day. And he worked hard all day long, and he knocked down 15 trees, which was still a good number of trees. The third day, he showed up even earlier, and he worked even harder. But he only brought down 10 trees. Day after day, he came earlier. He stayed later. He worked harder and harder. But each day, the number of of trees he was knocking down were decreasing. I must be losing my strength, he thought. So eventually, he went to the boss, and he apologized. And he said, "I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not a good employee for you anymore, I don't think. And the boss very wisely said, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? And the guy said, sharpen? I don't have any time to sharpen my axe. I'm too busy trying to cut down trees. We cannot influence out there if we don't allow ourselves to be influenced in here. We cannot be better for a hurting and dying world all you have to do is pick up a newspaper or look at the news and our culture is just a mess and we're not going to change it for the better unless we allow what happens here as a church family to change us for the better That is, that is my heart, that is my prayer for us as a family, that we begin to build these relationships. And some of you are already doing this in amazing ways. But that we break more bread together, that we sharpen each other, that we speak and hear truth together, that the stuff we do here on Sunday is just the cherry on top because we're doing the hard work all week long of loving each other and taking care of each other and guiding each other so that we can make a difference in our lives. Because as we look around this room, if we are not making a difference for each other, what's the point of even thinking about making a difference out there? That is my prayer.